Powered by Rev Media in partnership with TSN, this is Season 5, Episode 15 of the Rain Dregs Hockey Podcast, and it is presented by our title sponsor, Canadian Club Whiskey, who have introduced the first release of the Canadian Club Invitation Series, CC 15-year-old Sherry Cask. Now, it's the signature CC Classic 12-year-old, finished with a secondary aging in Oloroso Sherry Cask. All the hallmarks of classic Canadian club with the added richness and sweetness of sherry. And Ray, I don't think you have indulged or tried the 15-year-old sherry cask, nor have I. No, it's I've not, of, I've not had the opportunity yet. Yeah, look yeah. forward okay. to it. This might be the next best thing. Probably not close, but in my world, right? So we talked about the tri-tip that I put on the pit boss. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in Friday's episode, and that was magnificent. Like a perfect medium rare on Saturday, nice dinner. So Mason's girlfriend, Kaylee, bought me this whiskey smoker like months ago. And I'd never tried it. We had never tried it. So we pour a glass of uh, 12-year-old CC. And then you put this apparatus on top of the glass. Have you ever seen it? No, like I haven't. In a bar no, or anything no, no, like no this? I'm interested. Okay. So... I use the cherry wood shavings, but you put a pinch of cherry wood shavings into this little bowl that sits okay. on top of the glass. You light it with this torch. So, I mean, there's some danger involved with this, Ray. Like, you have to be supervised when you're doing these things. <laughs> anyway, it fills the glass full of smoke, and then the cherry smoke infuses the whiskey. Oh. Really? Interesting. Yes. Yes. Really? So, New experience with CC for me. I thought you're going to have to try it. it. This sounds like it would be a Matt and Landon's uh, well, aisle. In, in, as in soon China. as you brought up the like lighten it, yeah, I'm like, okay, you've got two yeah. or three <laughs> steps here. That gets. I need the whole instruction. Otherwise, oh, yeah, you know. But no, but I mean, like, I get lost in instructions. I, th I think Landon could pull this off. Full disclosure, Mason did all of the heavy lifting. Yeah, good work. <laughs> I, good work. I just sat there and I kind of videoed it because it looked cool. And then I was like, yeah, I'm not going to do this on my own. I'm going to make sure that right. I'm you know, well-staffed for the next time we indulge in something like this. But what a wonderful meal. Nice little awesome. you know, pre-meal. And then into the uh, tri-tip was tremendous. How about you? How was the weekend? Uh, I was in Montreal for the weekend and um, yeah, yeah. Uh, had the Canucks game on Sunday. Uh, Out for dinner with Mitch Melnick, I saw. Yeah, what, yeah. A, what an interesting character Mitch is. He man. is, I, yeah. I, I think Mitch is one of the very best people yeah. I've ever been on radio with. Super he's, talented. Yeah. He has got amazingly wide interests. He's smart. He's well read. He's up to date. Yeah. I just, and so I reached out. I said, Hey, Mitch, I'm going to be in town if you got a chance to meet up. And so we went to this fabulous Italian place called La Medusa. And yeah. oh, the, the owners are, you know, Mitch clearly is a, <laughs> he's a regular here. So the, the owners come out and they say, Hey, do you want, do you want to order? Or do you want us to bring? And we're like, Well, of course, you got to let them bring, right? And so, the owner's son is the chef and he mm -hmm. had, I've, I think I've eaten a lot of Italian food in my life. I've <laughs> never had this before. So the appetizer was white lasagna in a chicken broth. 
Oh, yes. I've never had it. It was spectacular dregs. It was honestly, it was the highlight of the weekend. It it was good it was you. so good. It's so and it and it's always you know like, I guess it's the same for everyone, but for Italians, like food mm-hmm. and visiting and having a drink yeah, and it's a good like, night. It's a it was a great night. It was a great night, and so uh, yeah. So I got there, got back Monday at about noon, and I leave tomorrow for Chicago. So short <laughs> short turnaround at home here. No kidding. All right, let's get to the headlines. Uh, Tim Hortons headlines. And a reminder that Tim Hortons is launching its first ever national hockey uh, holiday smile cookie campaign. It's running November 13th to the 19th. So you buy one of these delicious cookies, buck 50, and 100% of the proceeds will go to support local charities. So for more than 25 years, you've come to know and love Tim Hortons smile cookies. They're back and they're only at Tim's. So we have to start with the unpacking of the Edmonton Oilers, and we'll get to the game last night, that much-needed win uh, over the New York Islanders. I'm not sure how much better they played, but the outcome was what they needed. So we'll get to that in a minute. But first, we have to get to some of the other stuff that unraveled on the weekend. They fired Jay Woodcroft as head coach and Dave Manson as an assistant upon returning from the road. No surprise. You made the comment on Friday that you believed that the decision had already been made because historically that's, that's, that's really the way it went. Yeah. Mainly because Drake's it takes time. Yeah. If you, if you yeah. think about it, if they were not going to make the decision, they'd already made it. If they yeah. were, they needed to identify the coach that it was going to be. They had to negotiate a contract with them. Mm-hmm. In this case, they would have had to talk to the New York Rangers to see yeah. if Chris Knobloch was available. Um, then they would have had to do the contract and then they would have had to get him to Edmonton. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, that doesn't happen in, you know, in six hours. So it was, to me, it, it felt like it was one way or the other before that last game on the road, it was already done. Yeah, either keeping Jay Woodcroft or moving on, and they've obviously chose to move on. So here's here's something that's a bit weird. Um, so we're doing the Hall of Fame game on Friday at Scotiabank in Toronto, the Flames and uh, the Maple Leafs. I get a tip midway through the game, not from from a not from an outside team, not the Oilers, nobody involved in the process here, but it, I was told that Paul Coffey was going to be on the bench with the Oilers and. What the source didn't know was whether or not he was going there, you know, to to kind of oversee what was actually happening on that bench with Jay Woodcroft in intact as head coach. But as it turned out, now we know they clearly made that change, firing Woodcroft and Manson. And Paul Coffey goes down as an assistant. So I want I want to get your thoughts on that um, in in just a moment. But first, I want to hear from the captain, Connor McDavid, who talked about the moves. And the fact that he was as surprised as anyone that the Oilers decided to do what they did. The room, he never lost the room. Never lost the room, I didn't think. Um, never lost the room. So, um, you know, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, you know. So you say it was a surprise. So obviously the players weren't given a heads up that this might happen. Like you woke up yesterday and heard the news type thing? I woke up to a text like probably a lot of you guys did as well. Um, you know, uh, I know the narrative out there, obviously, um, you know, but it couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah. So what Connor is talking about there, the narrative, Ray, Ryan Rashog reported on yesterday 
um, just clarifying that McDavid and the leaders weren't consulted. And there was some confusion over that because when Ken Holland and Jeff Jackson, you know, met with the media after making the moves that they made, you know, Kenny made it clear that, yeah, he had had conversations with Connor and the leadership group over the course of the week. And then Jeff Jackson said, well, they, they weren't consulted and weren't involved in decision-making. And I think most of us listened to those two sound bites and watched it happen and went, well, wait a minute, like, which is it? You either consulted and talked to the leaders or you didn't. But there is a little of both there. Um, and it is unfair to suggest that Connor McDavid and the leaders, the players, would have had any influence outside of their poor play on the ice mm. in leading to the ultimate decision here by senior management and perhaps ownership of the Edmonton Oilers. Does that make sense to you? It, it does. Um, however, in, in so many of these cases, Dregs, I, I, I know information has to be protected, right? Like, I, I understand that. But in, in so many of these cases, if if the message was a little more clear. You take Connor McDavid off the hook here a little bit and don't leave him out swinging in the wind, you know, trying to, you know, trying to make clear his position on all of this. Yeah. Um, because it, <clears throat> look, it, it's, it's pretty easy to, to draw a conclusion that, Jeff Jackson was Connor McDavid's agent. Jeff Jackson, as an agent, had several clients that played with Connor McDavid in Erie, and the head coach was Chris Knobloch. Like mm -hmm. it, it's not a hard puzzle to piece together. But no. if if you go back to almost almost any coaching hire, the person that does the hiring has a familiarity with the coach that he hires. There is a history Agreed. there. Yeah. They're not just going to hire somebody they don't know. And, and yeah. I think that's one thing that's misunderstood in the media when, when we see a lot of coaches that, you know, the, the talk is, oh, it's a, it's a retread coach. It's a guy that's been here before. The toughest part, I think, for qualified young coaches is to get their first real chance, whether it's as an assistant in the American League level, the NHL level, or to be a head yeah. coach in the AHL, that to yeah. me is the hardest step because at some point somebody is going to hire an unknown. Mm -hmm. And your first un as the unknown has to be an effective stint because most times at the NHL level, the managers or the presidents are not hiring somebody they don't know. It's just like, look at the guys that have been hired over the last year. Peter Laviolette gets hired in New York. Well, him and Chris Drury know each other through USA Hockey yeah. and through their... Of course. Yeah. Right? Like you're not going to hire somebody yeah. you don't know. So that that part of the whole equation is, is predictable and familiar. Mm -hmm. uh, Paul Coffey coming onto the bench, I, I think, is really interesting because he's never coached. He's um, never really wanted that role. He's connected with the owner, and clearly they've asked him to go, you know, to go on to the bench. Yeah. And you saw he was engaged last night with the defenseman. He's a if you've ever talked to 
to Paul. He's got super strong opinions. He loves the game. He knows the game. Now he's going to have to coach. I don't, I don't picture him sitting there breaking down video. Like I right. picture that's going to be somebody else's part. But if you're going to coach, you got to dive into it because the players yeah. are going to demand the information. Yeah. So the other thing too here, and, and, you know, we're not coming from a, or I'm not from a perspective of being a Paul Coffey fan here, but the reality of a situation, people may not know this. He's a very successful businessman. He is. Mm -hmm. He's got, you know, big business happening in the greater Toronto area. He's got better things to do than, you know, go on the bench as an assistant coach to try and, and bail out his beloved Edmonton Oilers. He does. He's got better things mm -hmm. to do. So he puts that part of his life on hold because I'm sure as an advisor to Daryl Cates, he had strong opinions on the systems that the Oilers were playing and all that. Okay, well, if you're going to advise and you're going to take apart things that you see aren't working, you're a Hall of Fame defenseman. I don't care if you don't have coaching credentials. They get down there and let's, let's find out if we've got to do something to change the luck of that defense. And maybe that's just pure personnel, let alone the look, but we need you to find out. So I, I, I think it's, it's somewhat creative. I do. I don't look at it as being an, an, an easy way for the Edmonton Oilers to get out of a situation, but it's saying that, and you would know this, Ray, you know, Chris Knobloch, like this guy is, has coached his way up in a very traditional way. Right. Right. Is that, He's, is that Ollie? Ollie, Ollie, Ollie just scratch? came flying down this morning. Nah, he, oh, I could, man. I could hear the bells jingling there. <laughs> that, that, was a, that was a nice surprise <laughs> right there. So I guess what I'm saying is I let's judge Chris Knobloch from last night forward, mm. right? And, sure. and not the relationships that he had, because I think you illustrated that perfectly. That's the way it happens in yeah. pro sport more often than not. But Knobloch was a good coach in the American League. He was a good coach in the Ontario League. And he has been on the radar of many NHL organizations as a fresh voice, fresh face to the NHL. So we'll see. They'll be judged accordingly. But it's an interesting you, you know what, to try you know what makes him. You know what would make him a really good coach is if, if the star players played like star players and if the goalie plays yeah. like an NHL goalie. Oh, geez, that's what happened last night. It did. Like, it did. For, it, it's so often, you know, like Jay Woodcroft didn't forget how to coach from the end of last year to this year. No, the, no. the two major differences are the power play has been very pedestrian and which comes on the heels of a historically successful power play. Mm -hmm. And Stu Skinner took a major step back. So those mm -hmm. two things make Jay Woodcroft a way less successful coach like in a yeah. heartbeat. Yeah. And so now they've got to protect the goalie a little bit. They, um, they've got to untrack the, you know, the, the top end guys. Like I, I think just watching last night, Dregs, like you could see the frustration still sitting there oh, with, yeah. Yeah. with Dreisaitl and McDavid. Like it, it wasn't yeah. like it was a, um, a blanket of relief that was pulled off no. them. Right. And, and here's the thing, like I, I, I don't know if I said it on the podcast or if I said it somewhere else, but the the mood that the the players of such great stature have permeates the team. Mm -hmm. It it really does. If they're frustrated, everybody's frustrated. Yeah. And so the quicker that Knobloch can 
unlock that frustration or hopefully help them unlock it. Or maybe McDavid and Dreisaitl can exhale a little bit. The mm-hmm. quicker that happens, the better the Oilers are going to be. I All right. look, I understand why they made the change. Yeah. They're, they're not out of this thing. There's okay. no chance. Yeah, yeah, I was going to ask you to make a bit of a prediction, and then it puts you in a tight spot. But what do you mean they're not out of this? It's not they, as simple as changing the coach and the voice and, no. okay, here we go. No, it's not. Yeah. But I, why can't they work their way back into um, – a wild card race. I, I think yeah. they can. And the reason I think they can is they don't, as much as the fans and the media are all looking for this, you know, 15, two and one run or whatever, you know, put it whatever numbers you want on it. Yeah. If, if they go six and four for the next three, 10 game segments, you know, six, four, six, four, six, four, yeah. you're right back in it. Yeah. And it doesn't sound like much. It's hard to do, but if they can yeah. do that by, by the end of January, they're in it. They've still got a first round pick they can chain or they can trade out. Like there's lots of things that can happen, but they can't they can't stumble around for three more weeks. No, but it, it's playoff time now. Oh for yeah, this Oilers group they're they're in the playoff fight in November. That's just the reality of their situation. Yeah, for sure. But you're asking yeah. players that have put up, you know, as good a seasons as as anyone's had in the last twenty years. You're asking them to get to a level that is pretty close to that. You're not asking them to beat last year's totals. That doesn't have to happen. But they have to play. They have to be, they have to be the, the great players they've shown to be. Always an important weekend in the National Hockey League and around the, the world of hockey because you know the new crop of Hall of Famers are introduced, and that took place officially last night we'll get to that in just a moment but i want to quickly just drift over to the other alberta team the calgary flames because this also broke on friday night sure and look the speculation around zadorov and hannafin and chris tanoff depending on restricted free agents for the calgary flames has been out there for a while so it, it, it didn't come across like a nuclear bomb on friday when we learned that zadorov has essentially asked for a trade it's you know it's debatable on both sides whether there was an official trade request or it was just implied. Man, let that, me stop. You know, you. It's so crazy for crying out loud. This this splitting of the atom. Yeah, yeah, about, yeah. Like for everything that happens, no, this is what he said, but this is what he meant, and this is what yeah. the agent meant. Uh, he has to be traded. Like, like it's pretty clear. And yeah. you know, so go on. I mean, I just I I hate that. <laughs> Everyone's like trying to twist themselves into a pretzel and then untwist themselves from the same pretzel. Well, the takeaway, and I understand that the takeaway is that why did it happen Friday night and did it happen? Was it orchestrated because the flames are coming through Toronto and you've got, you know, a a bigger megaphone, if you will, with all the media in Toronto. So if you're Dan Milstein, you take advantage of that opportunity and, and you drop the news in the fashion that they did. Um, and then look, you know, we, we've had to dig into this a little bit. You know, Zadorov isn't happy with how things have gone in Calgary. Who is? Who is? Right. They're, you know, they're playing a little bit better. But I'm also told that he sees himself as a 3-4 defenseman. And yep. most of the league would see him as a 5-6, I think. I don't know. Where do you see him? Like, if, he, if he's getting traded to Toronto or Vancouver, you know, New Jersey, you know, reportedly has interest. Where 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 is he slotting in on those blue lines? 
he's not a three. Yeah. Um, he's in my opinion, I think he's a four or five. Um, yeah. I think he's, he's certainly better than a six, but the things that make him really good, um, also limit him as far as what, what he is. And so what, like he's, you know, we saw in the game in Toronto, like when he hits, poof, oh boy. Yeah. Like he's Look a out. mammoth, mammoth human. He yeah. plays with confidence. Like he plays, even when he shouldn't have the confidence to play like he does, he plays with a confidence. So that brings yeah. a presence to him. Um, there are times he, um, he tries to do too much and pulls himself out of position. He's an emotional guy. So the, mm -hmm. Like he appears to be anyway in the way he plays. So the emotion he plays with makes him good, but also makes it can be a liability. But he's, to me, he's a four or five. I would want him on my defense because I think he's just unpredictable enough on yeah. the ice to scare the hell out of the other team. He's, <laughs> he's a bigger Radko Gudis. Right. And right, right. Gudis would scare the hell out of me because you would never really be quite sure what he was going to do. Mm hmm. I'll, I'll give you one example from my day. The late Brian Marchment Ooh, terrified me, terrified yeah. me because if the game was going wrong, he would look for yeah. a game changing play. And it wasn't that he was going to, you know, run the power play. And so you, you better have your head up yeah. when Mush was out there. And I think that's the same thing with Zadorov and as we're talking about him, but Gudis too. Yeah. Now, I believe that the Leafs have actually had conversation with Calgary about acquiring two of those defensemen. Well, uh, it wouldn't be hard. I mean, and, for a living, would just call, right? he yeah. would just call his assistant from last year, <laughs> but, for the last seven okay, years. Yeah, you say that, but that put – talk about the situation that, that Conroy is in, right? He yeah. can't get fleeced by his old boss no. in Toronto, and he doesn't want to help – the Vancouver Canucks by making their blue line better. So okay, unless those teams have to overpay, right? Yeah, but but see, I don't I don't think if I'm Craig Conroy, I yeah. don't give a rat's ass about the four games I've got to play against Vancouver in the season. I'm worried yeah. about the other eighty two. Mm -hmm. So or seventy eight. I'm you know it's eighty two games. I'm worried about the other seventy eight. So if the best offer I got was from Vancouver or if it was from my old boss in Toronto I don't really care. Yeah. I need the best return to make, because when these guys go out the door, I need to put our retool, rebuild, whatever you want to call it. I need to put it into high gear. And that's yeah. the one thing that he can do with these types of players. Right. See, I think the Leaf deal, if, if they can make, it's always dollar in, dollar out. Sure. That's just the world of the cap. I, I think it would, for Toronto to make that deal for a Tanif and a Zadorov, I think something like, Fraser Minton's got to go back to Calgary as part of that package. Okay, like where's the money? Good, where's the money go? Well, it's got to be like TJ Brody or Klingberg or somebody has to be packaged as part of it, right? Well, put it this I'm way: saying, if I'm okay, if if that's what you're talking about, if yeah. if you're asking me as the Calgary Flames to take John Klingberg, you're not yeah, giving you're not me doing... a <laughs> no, no thanks. I yeah. I've already seen John Klingberg enough. Right. I yes, Minton would have to be considered in that package but it's going to cost more than that too yeah yeah a draft pick like again, but just think so i don't know what zadorov's contract is so is that about you're bringing in about seven million in salary yeah. right mm -hmm. oh yeah no it's not it's easy. it's not an easy deal and it's and maybe an the deal, deal starts with two guys and ends yeah. with one guy like 
who knows, right? Sure. Like, um, but it's uh, how's your first year? Is first two months as GM going there, Connor? <laughs> <laughs> well, both sides, tour living. I mean, holy smokes! I, right. I, it was a fascinating weekend on all fronts. Uh, all right, quickly as we wrap up headlines, uh, let's take a look at the Hall of Fame and and. It's hard to go through every single player and the two builders, mm. Ken Hitchcock and, and the late, great Pierre Lacroix. Um, I mean, what a goalie class. We had so much fun mm. with them on set on Friday with Henrik Lundqvist, who, by the way, I mean, you've been around Hank enough. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Okay. I mean, we're all lucky enough. We've got good suit deals and, you know, you look nice. You look presentable. Mm. Nobody wears a suit like Henrik Lundqvist. <laughs> I mean, it, uh, like we're sitting there looking at this guy and he's standing beside me. And at one point, James reference, you know, Hey, you know, we're, we're, we're in a world of greatness here with Tom Barrasso and Mike Vernon and, and Henrik Lundqvist. And I'm like, I, I'm not ashamed to say this. He smells terrific. Well, it's his new cologne. <laughs> he's got his own cologne on. It's something else, man. <laughs> anyway, we had a good time with those guys. Um, but I, so I want a quick thought. I mean, you would have played against Barrasso and you would have played yep. against uh, Mike Vernon, of course. But I know that, you know, Pierre Turgeon, who I also passed along your best wishes. I'm sure you uh, did. What too. a guy. What a guy. What a guy. Such a good yeah. person. Great family. All of those things. So why don't you just offer a quick thought on, on Pierre Turgeon and then we can get to the goalie class and, and kind of move on from there. Well, I, I think if people watched his speech, you saw you saw. A, the real Pierre Turgeon. He is humble. He is kind. Um, he's got a twinkle in his eye uh -huh. all the time. Um, uh, just one of my favorite, favorite people that I got a chance to know. Um, you know, like it, the stories about, to me, the stories about the family is always, it's always the best part. Yeah. You know, who helped and, you know, talking about meeting meeting his wife, Elizabeth, and um, when they were 12 and him say, saying, you know, I'm going to marry this girl sometime, you know, <laughs> at 12. It's, and then they've been married 30 years and she is just a wonderful person. And, um, you know, the, I, I had forgotten about the connection to Pierre Lacroix mm -hmm. and how the Lacroix took Pierre kind of as a, under their wing um to to help him out and then all those years later he ended up back in Colorado and um you know his, the you know they lost their daughter in 2010 and um mm. just oh it was i don't know i i just i feel this emotion talking about Pierre and his family and uh he's just a just a wonderful wonderful person i was just was so happy for him to to be there well, and, and I think you've nailed it. You know, it's, it's obviously about the great careers of all of these individuals. Um, you know, I think of Carolyn Willette, one of Canada's most decorated, mm. just a classy person, classy oh, yeah. bubbles with enthusiasm. You know, mm. she's going to do great things around the game of hockey moving forward. But, you know, listening to um, uh, Pierre Lacroix's grandson, Max, you know, describe mm. Pierre as his best friend and then Coco, you know, his, his wife. Yeah say at the end, you know, your dream came true, my love. Like, <laughs> that's what it's yeah, all yeah. about. Literally, yeah. that's what it's about. Um, and we should acknowledge media members honored as well. The Foster Hewitt going to Dan Rosanowski, who's the longtime voice of the San Jose Sharks. Elmer Ferguson going to Mark Melvoy. 
um, who, you know, for those who don't remember, we're old enough that we would. I mean, when you picked up a Sports Illustrated years and years and years ago, Mark Melvoy was must read. He really, truly was. Okay, back to the three goalies. Um, Henrik, for me, is is interesting because I was reminded – uh, by John Rosasco, who now works with the with the Toronto Maple Leafs, he was there at the time when they drafted Lundqvist with the Rangers, and he reminded me that Don Maloney had to overrule the head scout because they didn't want to take Hank in the seventh round of the draft. And Maloney said, "No, we're we're, we're taking the goalie. We've got enough evidence here, and the rest, as they say, is history." So, um, well, well, just think of that. So, like his brother got drafted in the third round. Yeah. Henrik sitting up in the stands by, you know, by the time the seventh round rolls around, there's, they're already starting to clean up the arena. And so whatever happens at the Ranger table, they, they take Henrik with the pick and yeah, nobody, they can say whatever they want. Nobody is ever super excited about their seventh round pick. Now it could be Henrik Lundqvist. It could be Joe Pavelski. Right. Right. Chances are it's know. not, it, but yeah. chances are it's not. So if there was, <clears throat> I don't even know how many teams there would have been at that time in, in the league, but, you know, like hundreds of, you know, 150, 200 players have gone by by the time Henry yeah. gets picked. Yeah. And it, it just, his, <clears throat> his game, his style in the, in the Big Apple just all fit. It, mm-hmm. it really did. And he was the king. And it was um, it was just something. It would have it would have never looked right had he been in another jersey. No, it just it just no. it would have been like sometimes you see the you know great players at the end of their career they end up in another team somehow and it just yeah it just doesn't look right. It, it that that wouldn't have looked right. As a former player, I don't think you would feel this only because you competed against these guys. <laughs> But I think of the aura when you're around Wayne, you know, like Gretz yeah. is, is, is special and, and you're captivated by his storytelling. You just want to listen. Um, I got that same feeling around Mario Lemieux as an example. Sure. And you feel that around Lundquist as well. Certainly not nearly as decorated as the two men that I've mentioned, but there is something special about Henrik Lundquist that is uh, certainly undeniable. All right. And the two other goalies in Barrasso, and Vernon, I, I every time I'm around Mike Vernon, I'm reminded, how did this guy, I mean, he was really good. Like, he broke yeah. into the league. He was sensational. What, like, what is he, 5'8"? Like, he's okay, a tiny okay, human being. But, here, but here's the thing, Drake. He wasn't really that small. Most no, at goalies, the time. Yeah. Most goalies were like 5'10 or 5'11. They didn't get these yeah. monsters till <laughs> later on. When I was in junior, uh, Vernie was playing in Calgary. And um, <laughs> there was this rule. I don't even know who made it up or what the hell it was, but you could pick up a goaltender for the Memorial Cup. Okay? Really? So, yes. So we were in Portland. We had a terrific team. And our goalie, one of our goalies got hurt. We, so we had to bring in somebody. So that yeah. meant for the Memorial Cup, we could pick up a goalie. So we were in, in Portland. We had like, we had a powerhouse, but goal was not a strength. Okay. Okay. So 
Portland for the first time in 1983 was hosting the Memorial Cup. The host team got in. That was the first mm. time. So <clears throat> we get to the league finals against Lethbridge and we're already in. <laughs> Lethbridge, all they want to do, they have to win to get in. All they want to do is they want to, they want to annihilate us. <laughs> so we play our backup goalie who wasn't even on the team most of the time. We, right. we sat out our star players a couple of games. They beat us in five games, right? So Lethbridge reaches out to Vernie because they want to bring him in for the Memorial Cup. He says, no, beat it because they had just spent the previous series running him all over the place. Oh, yeah. And so somehow we picked him up. It's <laughs> all so like I remember the buzz. We're like, hey, I think we're getting Mike Vernon. We're like, how are we getting Mike Vernon? Well, we went into the tournament with the worst goaltending, and by the time the tournament started, we had the best goalie. <laughs> and there, you know, they talk. The guys were talking about how big game Vernie. You know, like you wanted him yeah, in a yeah. big game. Man, he changed our team. That was my first example of seeing. What um what a goalie can do by just standing there, like it made our team so much better. Wow. And when I this is how how odd it was he was there. He wore number twenty six. Like I don't even think we had any goalie numbers. I think they're like here, just wear this. And so we won the Memorial Cup. Mike Vernon was our goalie. That's outstanding. Um, any highlight goals that you can remember scoring on Barrasso? Oh yeah. 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 Because I played him a lot. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're yeah. in Eastern conference. Um, <laughs> he was the goalie in, uh, for Pittsburgh, you know, the back-to-back -back Stanley cups. He was yeah. also the goalie in 93 when we beat them. And, um, so in game one, like <laughs> we don't have a chance, right? Like it's, okay. it, and we've yeah. been through this before. We don't have a chance. The Islanders against this penguin team. So about three, four minutes in, I get a penalty. We get another penalty. They've got five Hall of Famers on the ice against <laughs> Tom Fitzgerald, um, <laughs> Darius Kasparitis, and yeah. I don't know, Dennis Vasky. You know, like, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Like, so we got our three penalty killers. They're holding on, and Heels is making save after save. <laughs> so my penalty ends. I come on the ice. They make a pass back to the point, and Fitzy dives and touches the puck, and it bounces over Paul Coffey or no Larry Murphy's stick. I come out of the penalty box. I get a breakaway. <laughs> I, I mean, there's no chance I should have. I should be on the ice shorthanded, let alone have yeah. a breakaway. And you know, Barrasso caught with the other hand, which was a complication for me because sure. my my move on my break on a breakaway was either to shoot at low blocker, but that's his glove hand, and I didn't want to do that, or to fake and go backhand, but his yeah. stick's in the other hand. So and I'm as I'm going down, I'm like, man, I just got one move anyway. So I faked to the glove, I went to the backhand, I scored a shorthanded goal. Like and, and that ended up, you know, we ended up winning the series, but that would be the goal. I remember the most scoring against him because it should have never happened. That's so good. Look at that. We didn't even script this, did we? We no. didn't have a no. single conversation about Mike Vernon or Tom Barrasso. 
<laughs> before we started no. recording the podcast. No, it's so it's funny. It's it's so cool to see contemporaries go in. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because they're like for me anyway, I look at them and I think of them in in moments of their career that I remember. Yeah. And it's it's really cool to think of these guys that are that are in the Hall of Fame. Congratulations uh to to all of them. And um, you know, and we know Carolyn Willette a little bit. Um yeah. uh she's uh she's as you mentioned, she's a wonderful person. Uh we know her through Julie Chu, her wife, and they're yeah. just they're just uh amazing people. Amazing people. So happy to see them there. And and deserving in a quick thought on Ken Hitchcock. We can't leave the class without acknowledging Hitch. And I, I you know what, Ray, again, I'm, I'm a softie for this kind of stuff. Yeah. But I loved how he said in his speech, I can say it now. I love the players. And he Be, like yeah. he and he may he means that emphatically the way yeah. he presented it. He couldn't say it before now. Because he's Hitch. He's the hard-nosed, relentless coach. I can't show the players I'm soft like this. But he truly does. He, he, he did love his players, and many of them are his good friends. Well, and he was so hard on them because he knew he knew a way that they could be a better team. Yeah. And of better players, and, and in Dallas in particular, right? There's so many Brett Hull, Ken Hitchcock stories yeah. that – and because they're both like Hitch was like, this is how I have to coach the team. And Hully was so remarkably stubborn. <laughs> and so there's, this is, there's two of them that, that strike, that stand out to me. One was Hitch was talking about after a game, how, you know, goals aren't important. It's preventing them. That's really, that will get us to the Stanley cup. And, so the next day at practice, every time Brett Hull got the puck, he would shoot it over the glass. He'd flip it into the stands. And so Hitch finally blows the whistle and, you know, what are you doing? And he's, you know, Hully in his voice would say, said apparently, you know, well, you said goals aren't important, so I'm just preventing them. And he was shooting the pucks into the crowd. Get off the ice. And so the, the other one is they're in a game and Hully's, Hully's got the, puck and he passes it in the middle and he goes and all he could hear was Hitch in his voice yelling at Mike Madonna skate Mike skate and Hully said he would look and Madonna's jersey's flapping in the wind he's like Hitch how can he go any faster <laughs> <laughs> oh I just love it just love that's it that's outstanding alright those are your Tim Hortons headlines thank you for that introducing Tim's new holiday smile cookie 100% of proceeds support local charities, community groups, and Tim's campers in your neighborhood. Buy a holiday smile cookie at Tim's to give back to your community. Interviews on Ray and Dregs is here brought to us by Canadian Club Whiskey. We're introducing the first release of the CC Invitation Series, CC 15-year-old Sherry Cask. So we'll have a guest on the Ray and Dregs podcast coming up later this week. A couple of questions for you, Ray, and ask Ray and Dregs anything. You can send us those questions on Twitter and Instagram at Ray and Dregs or on the website, rayanddregs.com. I need some help. We started the podcast talking about dinner you had with Mitch Mellon, like a great Italian feast oh, in Montreal. Man. So we've got a question from, okay, first name, G-I-A-N. How do we John? Because it? it's probably short for Johnny. Okay. So Jean Dedicoli, does that sound right? Sure. C O L L I. 
Jean Dedicole. In the world of hockey systems, Ray, does this mean offensive or defensive systems? And is there a finite number of them? And then what systems did you prefer to play? Well, I'll start with what we played, which was almost none. There, <laughs> the, like, honestly, the game was freelance, far that's more what it was. organic. <laughs> yeah. And um, there were some... There were some hard and fast rules that each team had. Always one defenseman in front of the net. Yeah. Right? So, like, they would basically hand off the front of the net to the other D. You would never see the left D in the right corner unless he'd screwed up. Right. Right? That always we talked about third guy high. You know, now they call it F3. But third guy, never below the tops of the circles. Yeah. And so, like, in the neutral zone, it was get open. You know, like be available, face the puck. Like, so it was a, not a very systematic approach to the game. So the the game has gotten far more technical. Um, there's, you can play man to man. The first part is, is it offensive or defensive? It's mostly defensive structure and systems you're talking about. There yeah. are some um, things that offensive people talk, like on the offensive end of the ice, they talk about. So you could be predictable. So you, mm-hmm. you're not just guessing on the ice about yeah. when the puck's in a certain area, you want to get it. Say the puck's up near the tops of the circle. Um, now it, what happens that didn't happen in our day is the third forward will come up and stand right between the defensemen because it's yeah. almost impossible to cover up mm-hmm. there. So that is, that's part of an offensive system, for example. Uh, defense is far more uh, rigid. And technical, like Boston yeah. plays a box mm-hmm. and one guy in the middle that kind of moves around and supports. Um, yeah. Some teams play a little more man-to-man. Some play a strictly a zone, but more defense than offense for sure. Excellent. All right. Majin Silva asking, should Leon Dreisaitl be suspended for that nasty cross-check on Bo Horvat last night, right? I, I don't said think no, he, by the way. I said yeah, no, I didn't. I, I don't think he should be suspended, but I thought it was a garbage play. Yeah. I, I really did. It was a Honestly, it was a frustrated play, like if you watch the sequence yeah. of the play. But that's a lousy play for Dreisaitl to make. If And for anyone, any Oiler fan that thinks otherwise, flip that around. And if somebody would have cross-checked Dreisaitl like that, what mm-hmm. would you have thought? It, it's It's not a good play. Sean Henry, final question. Ask Grain Driggs anything. Do you think William Nylander is pricing himself out of Toronto with his spectacular play? Uh, I don't think so. Um, <clears throat> he's not making it easier. No. Right. But but I, I do think, like, this is where um, it's interesting for the manager um, is that you don't have to make that offer now. Mm-hmm. Like, what happens? If Nylander, well, he's going to slow down at some point a little bit. I mean, just the way it is. But let's say he gets into the range of last year's contract or last year's uh, totals. Well, that would be far different than the pace that he's on now. And does that change the money? Like, you you don't need to sign him now. You've got until July to sign him. And um, clearly it's not affecting his play. But if they were to sign them, they got, they're going to get, what's the difference, right? It's like three, four million to the cap. 
Uh, going up. Yeah, going up. Yeah, is that what we're saying? Closer to four and a half. Yeah. Yeah. So technically, you could use most of your new cap on him Mm -hmm. to to get into the range that you're going to have to get into, and Mm -hmm. that means you're going to have to carve out some money somewhere else, Mm -hmm. and that means the hope that young players that you know, like maybe Fraser Minton is ready next year, Uh, maybe Nick Robertson continues his play and he becomes a factor. Maybe Bobby McMahon is um, a real NHL player. You're just finding out now. All these yeah, become low-cost yeah. options to try and save the money um, that you're going to have to apply to Nylander. Excellent. There's Ask Rain Dregs Anything. All right, you've got a busy week. We've got to get you out of here this morning, Tuesday morning. I mean, you've got to look yep. after the boys and then you got to pack. You well, and uh, obviously there's a complication. I got to get Ollie out here before he yeah. goes to the bathroom downstairs here. Like, you know, <laughs> he's, he's getting a little itchy and he's starting to eat at things <laughs> that he really shouldn't be eating at. So we got we to gotta get him rolling. So I'm off All to right, Chicago, buddy. Connor Bedard, eight goals, eight games. Yeah. Could, could he make Chances it? are we'll be talking about him on Thursday or Friday. Yeah, when could, could he at least make it look like it's a hard league? I mean, like, the last how, couple have been spectacular. <clears throat> How about the short side jobby that yeah. he scored? Like the the skill to it is all amazing, but who thinks of that? I know. Like it happened. You got to remember that happened in like a half a second, the split second. Yeah. Boom, and it's uh, like yeah. so good. So I'm looking forward to uh, yeah to seeing that again. Uh, the Bedard show in Chicago, and uh, then just and then back Friday. So excellent. We'll right, we'll buddy. be uh, when are we? When are we doing the next one, Drake? You're, you're kind of like that. We, we, we have to consult with Prashog, but I I mean, it'll be whenever we can work it around your schedule, Thursday or Friday, whatever. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll get to, you know, Ryan makes these decisions because, you know, when he's not working, you know, putting our stuff together, he's he's breaking things now. Oh, I know. He's kind of a, he moves the market in Edmonton. He really oh, does. He is the market. He is. All right, buddy. Travel safe. Talk to you later. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks to our sponsors who continue to support Ray and Dregs and make the pod possible. Our title sponsor, Canadian Club Whiskey and Tim Hortons. And as Ray mentions, thank you for listening, rating, sharing the podcast. And don't forget, check us out on our YouTube channel as well. Until next time, stay safe, everybody. 